Hey, I'm glad you've joined me again for another episode of Plain Spoken. This one is going to be a follow-up on some reporting I did on Bishop Carcano about a month or so ago. Um, that's the thumbnail. If you want to look at the video I already did, it was published on March 17th, and it's gotten a good deal of attention. It's gotten over 4,000 views, and uh, that's because a lot of people have had their eyes on this situation. There have been some developments over the last couple of weeks that add some great complications to it. I was of the mind that they were just going to throw her away and lock away the key because they don't mind wasting money. Uh, but it looks like I could be wrong. There's mounting pressure from the General Commission on Race and Religion and several other entities that are putting pressure uh, on the Council of Bishops to act on this. So we're going to go through a recent document from Religion of Race, um, and we're going to look at the Council of Bishops, and I'm going to make some do some prognostication. I have a pretty good record on um, this stuff. If, if I've been flat wrong on anything, it's usually just small details, but I've got a theory that I've been promoting with the last um, uh, time I reported on this, and I'm, I'm probably going to reinforce it. So I'll direct you um, to this document. There's, of course, I've made my way through it. Um, it's dated the 27th of last month, and I didn't. I heard about it, I, but I didn't take the chance to read it until today. So it is um, addressed to the Western Jurisdiction College of Bishops, the Committee on Episcopacy, and um, the Committee on Investigation. All of these parties have been named as responsible for uh, the decision to put off Bishop Carcano's trial. Now, I am not a uh, legal expert, but I trust the people who are experts who say that Bishop Carcano, who was brought up on charges more than a year ago, um, has been deprived of her right to uh, a speedy trial and fair treatment. Uh, there are some legal categories I'm forgetting here, but the thing is, she was brought up on charges. Her case was uh, submitted to the College of Bishops in her area, the Western Jurisdiction College of Bishops, and uh, she was essentially just placed on the back burner. Um, she has not seen a trial, and it even went to the Judicial Council for review, and uh, they 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 punted. They didn't do anything about it. So. Now, the General Commission on Race and Religion has gotten involved because she is a woman of color. If you didn't figure it out from the NEA on her last name, she is a Hispanic woman. So they uh, uh, say grace and peace to you, and then they say we are deeply troubled. Now, why would we care about this? It's because the General Commission on Race and Religion represents all people of color in the United Methodist Church. The United Methodist Church is largely white, upper-middle class, but we have done our best. Uh, I'm saying we. I'm not a United Methodist anymore. Excuse me. The United Methodist Church has done its best to cater to the desires and needs of persons of color, POCs, in order to have a more multiracial uh, denomination. So that's why you see so many people of color at the top. It's not because they represent statistically who the grassroots United Methodists are. It's because um, we... Uh, the United Methodist Church largely subscribes to modern notions of how racial equity works. And so a big part of that is representation at the top. General Commission on Race and Religion is one of the official boards and agencies. Uh, I think there are 13 of them uh, for the United Methodist Church. And it speaks with an authoritative voice about the denomination. So what you're seeing here 
is massive powers from within the bureaucracy of the United Methodist Church facing off against one another. So you have the Western Western Jurisdiction College of Bishops versus General Commission on Race and Religion, and you're going to see people lining up on each side. It's already happening. So we're going to consult another letter written by another constituency. There have been several. I'm going to be able to point to two during this report, I think. So let's turn back to this uh, report. Um, We're deeply troubled by this decision that was, uh, since her suspension was announced on March 9th, 2022, Bishop Carcano has been denied due process and a fair hearing. We strongly urge you to lift the suspension against Bishop Carcano immediately or at the latest within 30 days. Um, Furthermore, since we are well beyond the permitted extensions of the supervisory process, which should be carried out in a confidential manner, we strongly urge that within 30 days of the date of this letter, you issue a statement that explains the general nature of the charges, the provisions of the discipline she is alleged to have violated, and unless they are minors, either the names or relationship of the complainant to Bishop Carcano. Now, I'm a big fan of this because, as you know, I don't like confidentiality. I think it's been used to do a lot more harm than good. And so this is far from the only uh, situation in which we've seen justice denied because of confidentiality. You have the charges that were going to be filed against Cedric Bridgeforth, an illegitimate bishop of the United Methodist Church. They were dismissed out of hand because the person who wanted to complain against him was public about it and trying to get signatories, and they said, no, that violates confidentiality, so now you can't file it. It's patently ridiculous, by the way. But you also had uh, Robert Barnes did an interview with me about Bishop Olivetto's trial on um, preaching doctrines contrary to the United Methodist Church being dismissed out of hand, even though it, uh, it was not given uh, proper due process. That was the term I was looking for earlier. Um, and then you have also uh, the case of Reverend Drew Enns in, in Virginia, who I just interviewed. The interview should have come out very recently, who was brought up on charges, and he too was put on the back burner in Virginia. And uh, we'll see what happens with the uh, clergy who are brought up on charges in Mississippi now, if they will get their due process or not. Um, of course, uh, you might get the impression from this that I'm sympathetic to people on the left. I'm not. I'm a, a, a staunchly right-leaning person. I just have principles, and that means that I want everyone treated the same regardless of how they line up ideologically. If it was up to me, the denomination would go back to how we did it in the good old days of John Wesley, and anyone who clearly did not want to obey the discipline that we have, we wouldn't waste 100 k on a church trial. We would just boot them. I, 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 I think that's justice. So anyway, I'm not king, and this is the situation that we've got. So uh, let's go back to the letter. This unprecedented, ongoing, and indefinite suspension along with the imposed confidentiality surrounding the nature of the charges, is harming Bishop Carcano and the whole of the United Methodist Church. Identifying the nature of the charges against her would alleviate the damage of ongoing discussion, speculation, and education in the public sphere about this case that you say confidentially was imposed to prevent. Likewise, it is difficult to see how your high value placed in moving through the process honoring the dignity of all involved has been preserved for Bishop Carcagna. What are they quoting there in those quotation marks? Let's go to point four. 
Oh, it's a letter to Marcia. It says, uh, 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 I what is I, that's Latin. It, goes, it means the one before. Letter to Marcia, uh, dated March 25th, 2022, signed by Bishop Karen Oliveto. I haven't seen that letter. I, I did a quick web search for this before uh, starting this, this broadcast today. I don't know where this letter is. If anybody has a copy of it, I, I'd like to see it. Apparently, it's one in which Bishop Oliveto who has been overseeing this whole process, explains that it needs to remain confidential for you know, Bishop Carcano's sake. We don't want people speaking about her in all this. And, and the letter is pointing out, everybody's speaking about her now. Everybody has because you haven't seen the process through. You, you say you're doing one thing, but it's actually having the opposite effect. Then on December... Oh, wait, sorry, 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 sorry. I went to the bottom. Um, Bishop Carcano's fair process rights have been undeniably violated. We call your attention to the significant statements made by some members of the Judicial Council who heard Bishop Carcano's appeal. Fair process is a bedrock principle of the church that must be present at every stage of a complaint proceeding. In this case, fair process has been violated. The bishop's rights have been violated. Therefore, we disagree with the majority opinion and believe that the bishop is entitled to immediate reinstatement to her Episcopal assignment. Now, that too makes a reference to another document. I've got it pulled up here on my browser. It's memorandum, memorandum number 1450. This is a Judicial Council decision. This got brought to the Judicial Council for a ruling when her due process rights had been violated. And uh, the majority opinion was that they didn't have any standing in order to adjudicate on this. But there was a significant dissenting opinion signed by uh, four of the nine Judicial Council delegates. I think there are nine. I should have had that page pulled up. But the, uh, the dissenting opinion is much, much longer than the majority opinion. Oh, wait, no, no, no. It looks like I've misspoken. Two signed the dissenting opinion and then four signed the majority opinion. That's a weird formatting decision. I, I would call you guys to format your stuff differently. Um, so uh, they already had a ruling on this, and the Judicial Council, which is supposed to be enter into miscarriages of justice and disobedience of church law, they punted. They, they decided they had nothing to say about this. And so uh, now it's to other bodies in the denomination to advocate for um, what needs to happen. So going back to this uh, document, Bishop Carcano's fair process rights have been undeniably violated. Oh, uh, sorry, I already read that one. Uh, and now, well more than a year later, there are more questions than answers with no apparent end to the process or the suspension. Under what authority is Bishop Carcano's suspension continuing? Isn't that a good question? Who has authority to be making these decisions? They should just be following the law I'll go ahead and tell you who it seems to be. It seems to be Karen Oliveto. Karen Oliveto, the star child of the denomination, the, the, the lesbian who was the first lesbian elected. Um, I'll go ahead and tell you if you didn't watch my last video. My theory has been that when Bishop Carcano closed down Glide Memorial United Methodist Church, that was the one that uh, Karen Oliveto came out of when she became a bishop. Carcano entered in, and she saw no signs of Christianity. She said this is not recognizably Christian. She ended the affiliation between the United Methodist Church and Glide Memorial, and there were financial implications, but it was more an insult 
on the ministry that Oliveto had created there, I believe that she took it very personally. And I don't know that these charges were, were uh, ginned up or not, but when charges came along, it would seem that Oliveto intentionally kept Carcano under her thumb and has had her effectively silenced. Now, before we feel too sorry for anybody, well, you know what? I do feel a little bit sorry for Bishop Carcano. You know, uh, I, it's my understanding that she's been kept from participating in the life and the work of any United Methodist Church. I don't know if she's even gotten to have communion. I don't know if she's been able to worship uh, with a community or if she's just really been uh, effectively taken from the heart of the church into uh, casting outer darkness indefinitely, in which case that would be very upsetting. But as I'm going to say when we get to uh, the letter that, that Jeremy Smith reposted, um, I, I, I have limited pity on, on someone who's making $175,000 a year with benefits, you know. This, these, these are still all very privileged people that we're talking about, whether we're talking about Oliveto, Bridgeforth, Carcagna. These are all people given great high status um, that a lot of people in here, well, everybody in here in one way or another is going to claim victim status because they belong to some minority group. But uh, some, uh, an old school person concerned like class with me is, is kind of rolling my eyes at all this where we are acting as though, you know, you remember how people got so mad whenever President Trump would claim to be a victim with all these people saying mean things about him. That's kind of how I feel about all these lefty bishops misbehaving and treating each other badly. It's just, they're, they're very privileged. Um, <laughs> so in case I was being too friendly to the lefties, uh, there you go. Um, let's look back at this, this letter. Um, on October 25th, 2022, well, wait, I didn't finish that. Under what authority is Bishop Carcano's suspension continuing? The administrative suspension has far exceeded not only the dis disciplinary limitation of 60 days, but also the absolute maximum allowed of 300 days. What has necessitated such a lengthy sus suspension? Uh, what could possibly justify this? You know, you would think that it's really juicy. Really, I mean, it must be extenuating circumstances. Man, so one of the things I'm just really hoping doesn't happen. I'm, I'm, I'm thinking with all this mounting pressure, they have to go ahead and lift the suspension. But what I'm afraid of is they're just going to say, uh, uh, we got to keep it under wraps. It's confidential. We're never going to tell anybody, but it's all taken care of. No, I want to hear, I want to hear what made it worth spending hundreds of thousands of dollars on uh, lame duck bishop uh, th these are these are monies that are put into the offering plate, trusting an institution to do what it needs to do with it. If they've been faithless, I want it to be exposed. But hey, you know what? Hypothetically, something amazing really did happen, and we should know about that as well. On October 25th, 2022, you announced that the suspension was continuing pursuant to a request of the Council for the Church. Since there is no provision in the Book of Discipline that allows for the Council of the Church to seek or mandate such a suspension, under what provision was the suspension Continued. So this is one of the things, my eyes start glazing over because I don't like legal speak, but in order to see this church trial through, uh, the conference has to hire a counsel person, someone to represent the annual conference and prosecute the case, oversee the case. Um, and so apparently they got church counsel appointed and they asked for more time, but that is not provided for in the discipline. Now what this is going to descend into is a bunch of disciplinary speak at which point my eyes really glaze over, and I go, we're just making up the rules as we go along. 
This is clearly not a system based on justice. Something I said in my interview with Drew Enns, if you watch that, is uh, I think all these processes are designed to be taken advantage of by the people in power. I think this serves elite interests, doesn't serve justice, it doesn't serve the church. If it was up to me, it would all be eliminated. You would have to take care of all this stuff up front. There would just be summary judgment. It would be great. Um, although if it got in somebody bad in their hands, bad things would happen. But I would argue that's already what's happened but they have procedure to hide behind, and they have this veneer of respectability to hide behind. Let's just go ahead and take the veneer away and show this for what it is, which is just power politics and interpersonal strife. Um, all right, so then on uh, 20, December 22nd, 2022, the Cal Nevada uh, Committee on Episcopacy stated that the recommendations for continued suspension came from the Jurisdictional Committee on Investigation and was ordered by the Committee on the Episcopacy, what is the role of this uh, committee in the complaint process? So I, I told you it's going this direction. When and how did this matter become a judicial process? When did these deliberations occur? When were the decisions made? What body or person made the decisions? I actually love the author of this. I think <laughs> all these back-to-back-to-back ridiculous questions just exposing how ridiculous this whole thing has gotten. It's clear there's backroom deals being made. It's clear that there are people making decisions that are out of their depth, but nobody is challenging them. Um, according to the nominations report on the Western Jurisdiction, the Jurisdictional Committee on Investigations is predominantly white, and here it is, the racialist ideology entering in. I've commented on this in a number of videos. I do not like critical race theory, and I know there are a lot of people saying there's no such thing as critical race theory. Uh, the re-racialization of America is a problem. The notion that uh, uh, justice in any way hinges upon the race and social location of the person offering it is, um, in my mind, laughable. Justice is justice. Truth is truth. You don't have to be... Uh, a person of color to see that Bishop Carcano was treated wrongly. Um, also, you know, it's just, if you look at the, 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 the footnote here, it's point eight. It says the full member demographics include five white, one Asian, one African-American members. Uh, and the alternates were four white and one African-American. And so they have links there. I didn't even check it out because I don't want to, uh, oh, and I didn't give you the, 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 anyway, you can look at the page yourself. The thing is, once you get into this racialization and, you know, we have enough got to have enough representation everywhere. That's just a never-ending cycle of uh, suspicion and um, uh, not liking the results of decisions. You like, well, who made this decision? It's just an easy way to just tear down an institution. And I'm going to take a break. I want to I read you a quote from a guy I like named Aaron McIntyre. I forgot to get the screenshot of this. Centralization is power's natural goal. I'm going to try and put this on at, the, at this point. Centralization is power's natural goal, but the vast bureaucracy that's required demands increasing levels of predictability so as power gets nearer to its goal, it necessarily renders the system sterile, unable to produce new ideas and solutions. In the end, the regime will only be able to more efficiently manage its own decline. And that's, that's something that I think is, is clearly happening here. Um, I've been putting together some stats on annual conferences. A lot of people have, have seen that I've been doing this. I've been going through, let's see, I'm not showing you right now. I've been going through all the different annual conferences in the United States, 
And uh, I've obviously got a lot of blanks to fill out. If you if you have information on the numbers of churches from in each conference from 2019, 2020, I, uh, I've got a request in for that. But if you look at attendance, in some annual conferences, just in three years, their attendance got cut in half, almost 50%. You, you see how many have like high 40s, mid 40s percent decline? We are in decline. As you look at uh, budgets, and I'll be getting budgetary information, a lot of these conferences are in free fall, okay? So what's happening here is we're rearranging the chairs on the deck of the Titanic. A lot of people don't realize the United Methodist Church, it's, 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 well, it's been in, in gradual decline ever since the first year it started. It's in free fall right now. And so what you have here, as we're talking about uh, what's going on with Bishop Carcano, is, is in some sense just uh, a huge distraction from the massive train wreck that's going on right now. Not that justice doesn't matter for Bishop Carcano, just that uh, it's, it's important to have a proper sense of proportion here. Um, if this matter is now a judicial... Oh, wait, I didn't finish the racialist language, excuse me. Since the committee, if involved, has no uh, Hispanic members yet would be conducting the investigation into the matter against the Bishop of Color, how will this result in fair process for Bishop Carcano, and how have you ensured that the committee reflects the racial, ethnic, and gender diversity of the jurisdiction? So I already talked about racialism and how unhelpful this rhetoric is. Um, if this matter is now a judicial process, If this matter is now a judicial process, the Book of Discipline, paragraph 27014C, allows disclosure of the nature of the complaint. When the, oh man, my eyes just glaze over. Let's just read the one, one sentence. This matter has and is causing significant disruption, disruption to the annual conference and denomination. So then it gets to, uh, again, a call to end confidentiality. It is fundamentally unfair and public... Uh, unfair to publicly name one party to a complaint, but not the other. In other words, there should have been complete confidentiality or no confidentiality. Um, it gets into how it's harming the denomination as a whole, and it, and it notes that Bishop Carcano has been a big voice on uh, immigration. And so uh, the denomination has been denied, has denied her voice on matters of Immigration and migration, a key area of her leadership. Then it talks about her being cut off, and then it talks about conflicts of interest, and this is where I think it, it implicates um, Karen Oliveto. It says, <coughs> excuse me, did or do any of the members of the supervisor resp response team have a conflict of interest? Are any bishops in the college truly free of conflicts of interest or the perception of such conflicts, either in favor or against Bishop Carcano? Uh, gets into how this whole process violates her presumption of innocence and is perceived as shunning, and then it re-articulates uh, its uh, desire that they immediately lift the suspension of uh, the good bishop and refer this matter to the Council of Bishops. Oh, that sounds like such fun, doesn't it? Don't we have such faith that if we would just give it to the larger Council of Bishops that everything would get figured out, even though that's pretty much what happened whenever Robert Barnes issued his complaint and they uh, just dismissed it? Um, the GCORR, that's the Race and Religion Board of Directors, uh, release that this matter 
requests that this matter be expedited and that Bishop Carcano be reinstated to her Episcopal responsibilities. This process continues. I noted it was interesting. There was one bishop who actually signed at the bottom, Bishop Cynthia Moore-Cocoy, and uh, she, of course, is African-American, represents a person of color demographic. Um, so the interesting thing about right now is they've just released this statement. Let's look at another statement briefly. Uh, this is from Hacking Christianity. That's Jeremy Smith's uh, uh, blog, and he served as a platform for the California Nevada clergy. Um, let's see. And it's addressed to the Council of Bishops, uh, General Commission on Race and Religion, and General Commission on Status and Role of Women. Of course, you know, there are two. Um, intersectionality is a leftist idea that uh, different minority groups uh, the ways in which not being a cis white het man, um, that they intersect in various ways so that some people have more against them than others. So you have kind of a, I have a friend who calls it the oppression Olympics, uh, but the notion is that um, when people come into conflict, there are power differentials that have to be negotiated. And so if there's a white male involved, he's always at fault because he has more power. And so if he's upsetting somebody, who's not a, a, a white male, there's a power differential at play that needs to be taken into uh, account. So here, what, what is being uh, done is that you are uh, serving as a platform within the denomination to have an oppression Olympic. So you have um, a Hispanic woman, so that's two points uh, uh, of, of oppression against her versus what is increasingly uh, seen as a a woman who's gay. That's two points. So do we have gay woman? Does that put someone lower in the power differential or a woman who's Hispanic? Which one's lower? Which one prevails based on power differentials? Enter into this equation. You had general commission on race and religion. They represent persons of color. They are an oppressed minority group. They Their voice needs to be elevated. And now we have we, the undersigned clergy of the California Nevada Annual Conference, who are people of color, LGBTQIA plus people, mental health advocates, those who reside at various intersections of these, and allies. I, I haven't been giving you the screenshot of this, excuse me. So I just read this portion right here. It's at the very beginning. Uh, we have witnessed a significant amount of public commentary and advocacy regarding the complaint process involving Bishop Carcano over the course of the past uh, 12 plus months. The vast majority of this commentary has been solely focused on how difficult, even harmful, this has been for Bishop Carcano. While we have no doubt that the past 12 plus months have been personally and professionally difficult for Bishop Carcano, the degree to which concern for the full body of the conference has been absent from these public statements compels us to speak out. Sadly, we believe that the Western jurisdiction's ongoing commitment to honor the disciplinary process, including the mandates of confidentiality, has provided space for others to create a thin narrative focused solely on engendering support for Bishop Carcano. Insert joke here from a person who finds it funny that people in the Western jurisdiction would pretend that they are honoring the Book of Discipline after publicly working against it for years. Let's go on. Uh, we acknowledge that our institution has enacted or been complicit in perpetuating a systemic oppression and harm, including, but not limited to, racism, sexism, and homophobia. 
Some of us have experienced and witnessed the first, this firsthand. We too are eager for justice to be done. However, those advocating for an immediate end to Bishop Carcano's suspension do so by their own admission without any objective awareness as to why the suspension was implemented. To expedite this process absent this awareness is irresponsible, reckless, and does harm to faith systems of accountability. We understand these public calls come from a place of care and concern, but to raise the prophetic voice against systemic oppression without objective knowledge of a particular situation does a disservice to justice itself. While there are without a doubt those within the Cal Nevada Conference who would welcome Bishop Carcano's return to active service, we believe that her return to active service as resident bishop of Cal Nevada's conference without the accountability required by a just resolution agreement or the findings of a trial court would create a depth of conflict and division that could undermine the mission and ministry of the annual conference for years to come. In the peace of Christ. Let's click here to see the clergy signatories. Oh man, it's going to make me click more things. I don't want to do it. Um, and it doesn't really matter. So, uh, yeah, what, what happens in large systems of power is power serves power. It knows no color. Uh, so what, what you have is whoever's in charge mobilizes people on the ground who are already saying things that they like and they elevate them. So what you want to do if you're going to win um, in the United Methodist Church, you can't have a straight white male at the top saying, here's how things need to be. You need to have oppressed people at the top. Uh, uh, people of victim status that have been elevated, they're now clashing, and then they've got their constituencies representing uh, victimized people groups at the bottom. So now you have General Commission on Race and Religion versus the clergy of Cal Nevada Annual Conference. You know, you have this intersectional warfare going on where they're both, both representing oppressed constituencies, and you have uh, people, well, and you have the, the sex uh, 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 race and religion, and then the, the gender-oriented one. And then you have these clergy who say, hey, we're gay, we're male and female, we're, we're minorities too, and we feel this way, and so how do you navigate this? This is just a huge quandary. Uh, you might have thought that you were going to have a denomination of peace once you threw out the patriarchy. What you find is chaos. Um, let's, let's look at Marcha. Marcha uh, is the Hispanic caucus group within the uh, denomination, and they have a... I reached out to them because I just wanted to see the letter that Bishop Oliveto sent them. They have a Facebook crew group that has 1.7 thousand likes and 1.8 thousand followers, and man, have they been posting about Bishop Carcano for a while, because of course, uh, she's a Hispanic woman. Um, I, uh, I saw an interesting comment on here Ooh, they had uh, something that was post four days ago because the Council of Bishops is meeting. Gee, do you think that the Council of Bishops is going to talk about this while they're together? Just something worth wondering. We might come back to that in a second. But I noticed that John Lom Paris commented on one of these. Uh, I should have just kept it on uh, wherever it was. Oh, it was right below this. Why avoid explicitly naming... Oh, shucks, I can't read that naming a or the chief culprit in Bishop Carcano's mistreatment, Karen Oliveto. It is one thing to say that her being a lesbian should not disqualify her from being a bishop. It is another thing to say that her being a lesbian excuses anything from her utter lack of qualifications to her bullying abuse of the office of bishop against Bishop Carcano and others. 
and I didn't see that there are more comments, but I, uh, I don't think it would be wise to try and go through there. So anyway, we know where Marches stands on all this. Um, let's see, the Council of Bishops, I just thought it would be good to point out, they are meeting right now. They're meeting through May 5th, and it says at the bottom of this article that uh, their meeting will be live-streamed daily, Monday through Friday, via the Facebook site. So let's go to the Facebook site. I've got it pulled up, and this is not a live stream. This was posted six hours ago, and it was just a 30-minute worship session, and we have not seen anything since. So they could be in closed session right now discussing Bishop Carcano and how they navigate their way out of it. Um, I, I forgot how big they are. The Council of Bishops has a lot of people, 12,000 follow them. Twelve. They have a phone number. I haven't called their phone number before. I wonder who picks up the phone. Um, we've already looked at Jeremy Smith's blog, and then there's a timeline on here. Hopefully I'll remember to post this here in a bit. It's just a timeline of how Bishop Carcano's uh, case has been handled. Um, that was about all I, I thought to look up on this one. I, uh, I personally, where I'm at, I, I, want, um, I want all this to come to an end swiftly, and then I want to report on what exactly happened. If, it, if my theory is correct and Bishop Olivetto has just behaved, taken advantage of the authority she has to the detriment of Bishop Carcano, I want that, ex, I want that exposed so hard. Um, there are just so many uh, loose threads that I've been pulling on that lead to Karen Olivetto. Uh, but if it was something else, I think we have to know that. But man, I will just be, it'll be just the height of hubris if this organization thinks that they can just quietly snuff it out and say, we're not given any details, move along. And uh, so often that's what the federal government does, and the UMC was modeled after the federal government, and it's so often that they try to replicate the, the communication methods of, uh, say, the, the White House. Um, it's just, it's, as one who has stepped away from the UMC, it's, uh, it's nice <laughs> to not be a part of that circus anymore, but it's also just really um, frustrating to see how many people take the organization seriously whenever it's led by uh, people that, that can't follow basic rules. that, that um, I, It's not because they're stupid. I don't think they're stupid. I just think they... Uh, when you have an ideology that's based on power, people groups against one another, then I think this is what you find. I think you just find rampant um, misbehavior. So I hope that the UMC assesses this situation and says, you know, we've, we've gone too far and we've put some people in authority that really shouldn't be and we should exercise better judgment as we elect people. We should also hold people accountable that we elect. Uh, do I have faith that that'll happen? Not really. Uh, but it's good to pray for things. You know, we have a God who works miracles. And so uh, let's pray for the Council of Bishops that they adopt a new path of accountability and adhering to the book of discipline, man, that would be great. Um, and let's pray for repentance. And uh, you know what? I'll publicly repent if I have uh, prognosticated wrongly here, if I've conje uh, done some bad conjecture. But if I'm right, I expect uh, some accolades. So anyway, I'm going to draw it to a close here now. Thanks for joining me. This has been Plain Spoken. Uh, if you have tips, email me at plainspokenpod at gmail.com. If you like this, share it with a friend. I'll see you next time.